So welcome to another edition of Trillo Talks. I'm Julia Klaproth, and I'm sitting here together with Barry Drees. We're both senior partners at Trilogy Writing and Consulting. And I'm really excited about the topic we have today. We want to talk about how AI is going to change the way we write and work as medical writers. And I have to say, it's been a dreary week. Uh, it's, it's winter, and today the sun has come out, it's blue skies, and I think um, it's the perfect setting for this, for this session, so I'm excited to dive in. Now, you know, the interesting thing about AI is it's, it's the talk of the town, and everybody wants to know how it's going to change what we're doing, but automation of documents isn't something new. It's something we started on 20 to 30 years ago. And I would just join in there because, in fact, many people, this surprises them when they hear it. They think this is something really recent. But in fact, I was there at the origin of some of the first real automation where parts of the case narratives for serious adverse events, deaths and other important adverse events that were used to be handwritten. So you wrote people wrote in the age of the patient, the sex of the patient and all these details by hand looking at data. And it was riddled with errors, and it was just a huge effort and took then tons of time to correct it. And I just thought at the time, this is silly. We have a database. Why not just import things like the age of the patient, the AEs, and really, you could really go to town and put in three quarters of what was being written in the narrative straight from the database in a nice little tabular format that always looks the same. Yeah. That also gives you the advantage that if you had tons of events you often would farm it out to several doctors and they would all write differently. So when you're reading them, there was no consistency. It was all over the place. So by doing this, we made a lot of it really consistent. And then the actual written part was a short little text talking yeah. about the, the how the event ran. And that was just hugely time-saving and work-saving and cost-saving. And at the time, I remember thinking, okay, well, this is easy enough. Where do you go from here, though, well, you know, the amazing thing is, because what, what we want to talk about is how AI is going to change the world and change what we're doing. What what astounds me is, you're absolutely right, the technology to do that kind of low-hanging fruit automation has been there for a while. There are still companies who are doing it exactly the way you described it. And so it's an interesting point, because so you may have the technology and the know-how to do to make something easier, but why is the industry not using it? You know, why is that not just the way it's done across the board? That's a complex question that maybe philosophers and psychologists could answer best. I laugh, and I don't know if this is a perfect metaphor, but it's like now that we have MP3s, why are there people who still want to use CDs and albums. I mean, they say it sounds different. All I mean, there's always going to be that, you know, humans are imperfect and they move forward. But when you see the savings and the effort yeah, and the money that's saved, to me, it's not a serious issue to discuss anymore. And yeah. what Julia and I firmly believe and are quite deeply involved in and how we're going to steer the conversation now is where's the next step? There's lots of other things that tend to be repetitive, very labor intensive, is there a way we can use computers and artificial intelligence and stuff like that to automate some of these other tasks? 
Yeah. Well, clearly that's the bandwagon that everybody wants to jump onto. And um, we should probably set the stage by explaining uh, to the people listening that we actually decided about four years ago to also jump on this bandwagon. And we started developing an AI-based tool. It's, um, it's not pure AI in the way people imagine artificial intelligence. You don't just give it a bunch of stuff and it decides what to do with it. It is a rule-driven um, tool, but it, it's a combination of natural language techniques together with these rule-defining programs. And That's an important point. I just like to jump in here because many people because of the popular press, think AI is always what they call big data. You give it 100,000 things and then it picks out the things. There are two problems with that in this case. One is big data for a self-driving car may be a million street views. We don't have a million study reports. And then there's all these differences that are quirky in phase one versus phase three and stuff like that. The other big problem with big data is when it does come up with its rules, they're opaque. You don't know really what it's doing. And we felt in the clinical research field, that would be a big negative if it was just saying this is important and this isn't. How did you decide that? So we are using rules and we have strongly pushed that the tool, when it produces text, tells you what it's doing. So that, you know, is one of the major things that that people who don't like AI say, well, we don't know what it's doing. Well, that's not a problem here because it tells you it says this is how I decided to do that. Yeah, exactly. So. So we've been developing this tool um, from the perspective of medical writers and wanting to have something that really gets in and takes away the tedious part of pulling a document together. And as we began to develop, we realized there's a lot more than just the savings you can have by making sure the things are changed from... um, to past tense or, you know, spelling mistakes or things like that, formatting. Those are all things that obviously tools can do very well. But what a computer can do much, much better and much faster than a human is dig through data. And we realize that that is one of the real powers that you get from using a tool like this. And so understanding that, that drove a lot of our decisions in what we wanted to do, because we thought we don't need a tool to write and craft text for us. That we can do ourselves, and probably we can still do that better than any tool can. But if we understand that its ultimate strengths is going in and finding signals in the data and making sure that when it pulls things from the data, it does it in a consistent way, we decided that's what we're gonna focus on. And so we've been using the tool to develop into something that will aid a medical writer and really actually let the medical writer do the part that they bring value for. And while we're destroying myths about AI, I'm gonna jump in with this one, is many people thought, and I believe Julie and I thought to some extent as well, as you'd turn on the AI machine and it would produce a final copy study report ready to send to FDA or EMA. Mm. But in fact, as we looked through reports, we realized odd quirky things were sometimes done in discussing with the clinical teams that would be impossible to, for any computer tool to understand. And then we began to realize the real advantage is not taking the place of a writer's interaction with a clinical team, 
but it's preparing that first draft. That is the most time intensive. That is the most tedious. You're going through tables. And we've worked with lots of clients who've tried to automate this in some ways. And yet there's always big holes. Some of them pre-program some of the in-text tables, but they don't pre-program all of them. And so you still have to go through pages and pages. And that kind of thing, saving to create a great first draft with clear, consistent rules that you can then go to the team and fine tune things is what our goal should really be. And that is what we decided we would pursue. Because the other benefit is all this quirkiness. You're thinking, why is there so much quirkiness? That's because people are going with the team starting from scratch. But if the computer is already telling you the important points and laying it out a certain way, there's much less room for quirkiness because you think, hmm, yeah, okay, that's true. Uh-huh, yeah, I see that. And so it, it, you get two benefits. <laughs> you get yeah. two benefits with uh, one stone in that sense. And, and ultimately, what we wanted to do was have a tool that did two things. So the first is the obvious one: bring the data together, go through the mountains of TFLs, look at what's in there. Um, Make decisions about what needs to be pulled out of it to be put into your table, whether it's your primary efficacy or your safety adverse events. It needs to know what those are and how to pull them in the right place at the right time, right? So that's that's the one thing. But I think the more interesting thing about AI, because that's sort of still the automation, isn't it? It's it's a bit like what you were talking about with the narratives at the beginning. The interesting thing was the second step, and that is to write text around those data. And to write text that's meaningful, meaning not just have a thing that says the efficacy data are in table one, but actually craft something that would serve as a starting point for the medical writer and the core authors who are going to look at this output to to work with. And so we had to make decisions about, well, what is clinically relevant, right? Yeah, and that's great because just recently I was giving a training on lean medical writing to a client and they gave me some of their documents. And for the demographic data, there were many treatment groups. It was complex. And so their text was simply saying the mean age for this group was X. The mean age for this group was Y. The mean age for (laughs) for this group was Z. Not only do we hate those kind of texts because they're useless, you can just look at the in-text table. Well, the reader's sitting there going, so what? (laughs) The really fascinating thing is two of the most important groups that they were comparing, one had a mean age of 54 and the other a mean age of 67. Now, that's really fascinating and super interesting because if you try to compare those just for adverse events, one, the majority of patients are elderly, the other one not. If I asked you, you who do you think is going to have more deaths knowing nothing about the treatment? You would say, well, the elderly, obviously. And sure enough, there were more deaths. But there was no mention of it anywhere in the report because yeah. all they were concerned about was writing the means again. Well, and that's that's exactly the point, right? We are trying to now develop a tool that goes beyond just getting data onto paper. It's thinking about who cares? Why are we presenting this data? Why do we ultimately care about demographic data? Well, we care about it because we want to know whether or not we can compare the treatment groups. But also, what does it tell us? What can we expect from those treatment groups? And the, the point of the elderly is a point in case. No, a case yeah. in point. <laughs> no, exactly. And, you know, it's it's picking out that signal. I mean, nothing frustrates me as a reader of documents than when you read a whole page of differences. And then in the end, it says, but none of these were considered clinically relevant. Right. 
or people who go into the demographics to, to continue with that example and say, wow, look at the difference between men and women in this study. I'm like, yeah, well, it's a pregnancy drug. Yeah. How many exactly. men did you expect to participate? But they've yeah. Had, yeah, but it's 100% women and 0% men. I'm like, duh. That's not any. What's interesting is when there's differences between the treatment groups that then affect your interpretation of safety or efficacy. And that's what our tool we have designed to do. And in this case, you could not interpret safety without keeping in mind, wow, difference. by definition, there's going to be more deaths in the elderly group. Yeah. And sure enough, there were. And the point you made about the the reams and reams of text only to get to the bottom and say it doesn't matter, basically, reminds me of that quote from the FDA where they said, you know, like they're tired of reading these texts that start with, in the beginning, there was a cow and then there was a dog and then there was a cat. And you read through pages and pages of stuff only to find out it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. And they're really begging us to cut to the chase. And, and that's what a tool like this can really do. If you stop and think about the so what right from the start. Right. So I think, you know, in addition to the obvious benefits from automation, um, you also get this idea of really focusing on the signal, which is something that a lot of clinical documentation has been missing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to give you just a practical example, because people often then say, well, how many days are you going to save? It depends on the data, of course. But we had a case where there were 280 pages of laboratory shift tables. Oh. And it took me and the writer, because she called me in as extra support, two full days going through that to pick out the interesting stuff that we wanted to talk about, the clinically relevant things. It took our AI tool about five minutes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, if you think about that saving and not just purely in times and, and money, but imagine you're sitting there fighting through for two days the lab and then you've got a ton of AEs and then you've got all these boy at the end you're kind of like oh my god well and not only that think about the things you guys missed right when you're sitting Good there point. for for two whole days digging through these tables with your highlighters or whatever way you do it you're going to get tired you're going to overlook something you could miss a page right the beauty of a tool like this. Oh, 279. What happened? <laughs> exactly. Right. The beauty of a tool like this is you're not going to miss anything. And that's getting back to the point that I made at the beginning, that the strength of a computer is its ability to go through data really quickly and not overlook anything the way humans can. Well, because I, of my age, I can't resist throwing in a historical example, which is going to seem absurd. <laughs> and yet, when I first started, when we would do a dossier, we did not have a way to paginate the pages of the submission through. So we had to stamp it. Now, we had a machine that supposedly did this, but it depended on you absolutely putting in the correct page into the machine. And I remember when you came up, you knew the whole thing was 6,842 pages. You were sitting there thinking, God, I sure hope this comes out with 6,842, because if it's 6,843 or one, <laughs> exactly. and, and, you know, now you just think, oh, come on, Barry, that's so retarded. I mean, it's like you're carving it in stone or something. Yeah, but that just shows you how automating, and we're taking now with the AI automating up to a totally new level, yeah. which will make simpler and more effective and more meaningful well, exactly. That's the point. It makes it more meaningful because the tool does the job of culling the information for you in a consistent way, which is going to save time for quality control, but also 
in that you don't miss anything. It will put it onto the page with the data in an in-text table and text that begins to try and address the so what. And what it does is it leaves all the time that you save doing the culling to look at what it's saying. We think these are the important points. Now, what do you think? And we, as the specialists working together with our clinical teams, can say, okay, so what do we think? And you were talking about the savings before in terms of just how much time you save by culling it. But I think there's some other points where there are potential savings. I was talking recently to um, a, a client who was talking about the fact that ahead of putting the real data in, it's very common to do pre-data yeah. drafts, dummy drafts, all kinds of versions. I know some teams who using do mock six, data and all using that. mock data and all kinds of stuff. The team will spend months sitting there thinking about what they hope the data is going to say and writing fake text about it. All of that can fall away. That becomes obsolete because now on day one of having your outputs, five minutes later, you have text and data on paper that tells you all of the key things you should be aware of. And the team can just sit down and focus on that. So not only do you save the time after you get your data, you can potentially throw away those months of time that people are spending uselessly pretending to think about what it's going to say. And I just think the amount of savings here will be enormous. It's going to change the whole dynamic. It's going to change the way teams approach these documents. And it's going to change the way people think and teams think, because one yes. of the questions we got while displaying this to someone was, well, what if the team has all these kind of quirky wishes and stuff? Can you adjust it to deal with that? And I said, well, in theory, we could. Yes. But actually, we have carefully chosen standard texts that really cover all the bases. So we would encourage teams, rather than to go in and start quirkily changing it, to yep. think, is this good enough? Is this sufficient? Does this cover the bases? And then maybe just stick with that. And I think many teams, when they're not thinking, oh, I have a blank page, I can do whatever I want, will say, oh, you know, I'm used to doing it different. But now that I see yours, let's stay with that. And that kind of consistency and standardization across the industry would will be, be fantastic. Huge. Absolutely. Think of the savings for the reviewers when they start to get things that are all modeled in the same way and not talked about in a hundred different ways. Yeah. Right. The classic one, because we were mentioning demographics before, was to say the treatment groups were comparable or similar or well-balanced. And some groups even thought, Barry, why don't you use all three, each one in a different paragraph to make it more interesting? And I was always like, this stuff isn't interesting in that sense. You don't read it for fun. It's not like a crime novel or poetry or something. You just want to see what's going on. Yeah. And therefore, the, doing it consistently is more important. And so yeah. we not only wouldn't get rid of the comparable thing, we would say there's no relevant differences and give the definition of relevant right there for you to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I think teams will will like and therefore more easily get used to being presented with informed or being able to make informed decisions because they're being presented with all the relevant data in one place, right? So once you get used to the idea that, oh, okay, these are the relevant differences between treatment groups for adverse events, I can choose as a clinician to say, do I think any of these need to be highlighted or not? But it's already there. So I'm able to make a very informed decision quickly 
because I don't have to dig through stuff. I can look at it. I can make choices. And I think people will, because of the ease and the meaningfulness of the information that's presented to them, people will adjust and get used to it rapidly. And one more thing is that we made a conscious effort early on to err on the side of putting too many findings in rather than too few. Yes. That way, most cases you look at and think, I don't know that I really need all of those. I'll get rid of the three least uh, important differences or something because I don't think they're clinically relevant. You always have that option. Whereas if you're picking too few, you might be missing things. Here it's really going to err and think, we know this; these probably aren't all clinically relevant, but here they are. Here's the criteria. Now you choose. And I think people will love that because yes. the interactive, the their expertise, people distrust AI because they feel like they push a button, they get something, and then they don't know how it was made. Here it's going to give you all these options, and then you still have to look at it and say, okay, let's do this. But that yeah. is trivial compared to going through the tables originally, fighting your way through the jungle, and at the same time trying to figure out what's relevant. Now you can see, let's just say, uh, from whatever the difference down to 5%, our tool might take it down to three, and then you can say, yeah, 5% was the correct thing. Or you might say, actually, 7% looks better. Or you can say, 3% looks good. But you get to see those and you get to interact. And I think that's really important for user friendliness or user acceptability of a tool like this. Yeah. Because people, both writers and the people who are helping, the core authors, stakeholders, I'm sure they're afraid that AI will in some way take away their ability to make the decisions, right? That it's going to make decisions and it's going to put stuff in there and it'll be a fait accompli and that's it. And that's not the intention of, of the, at least the tool that we've been generating at all. It's in, in fact, it's the opposite. It's to help them make the right decisions and give them the information they need to do that. So they can make it shorter if they want. They can make it longer if they want. It's up to them. But they've got all the information together in one place. And that's the big advantage we have over self-driving car AI systems where, you know, a, a person runs into the road, the car has to decide what to do instantly, and it's black and white. Exactly. You know, we can give a little bit more, and that way the person, and if they get used to it, then, then they can say, you know what, every time you give me down to 3%, but I've realized I never want three, five is good enough. So let's use five. Yeah. You can yeah. do that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so maybe just to wrap up, we sort of started by saying, how do we think AI is going to change medical writing? How's it going to impact on it? Um I mean, an obvious one is it's going to make writing a lot less tedious because you don't have to be the one who goes through and picks out all those pieces and then make sure everything is put together in a consistent way. And as important as that is, it's also going to make it better and yes. more meaningful and yes. give the reviewers you know, better documents that will help them interpret the efficacy and safety of new drugs. Exactly. So you've got improved consistency. Um, it's going to be a lot faster. And there are definitions for the decisions we're making about what's clinically relevant, which is also provided for the reviewer ultimately. So the reviewer is informed as well. If you decide you want to say these are the most common adverse events, you're defining what's most common. So the reviewer doesn't go, well, how did you choose these? Why did you decide these are the most common? We say, well, it was anybody who had more than 10% or whatever is the definition is. So there's informing at every stage of the way. There's informing for the writer, informing for the reviewer. So. And those decisions can be then discussed with yes. patients, with patient advocacy groups, with the public to yeah. get rid of this black boxy thing. Yeah. Oh, you know, whatever. It's telling you this is exactly what we're doing and why. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, great. I think this was a really good discussion. I'm excited about where we're going with this tool and AI in general. I know there's a lot of companies developing similar things. And there is no doubt that our world is about to change. It almost makes me wish I was 20 years younger as a medical writing, because I think medical writing is going to be a much less tedious, more exciting and interesting field, even though, in all honesty, I think it's already exciting and interesting, but it'll remove a lot of the remaining tedium and make it more more valuable and more interesting. So thank you for listening to Trilla Talk today. If you enjoyed it, please do come back and listen to us again. We are planning to bring out new editions about once a month. Upcoming topics are going to range from the value of medical writing to apprenticing medical writers. And we'll also cover many document-specific topics, such as lay summaries or how to tame CTD dossiers. You can find our episodes of Trilla Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and TrilogyWriting.com backslash Trilla Talk. We look forward to having you with us again. Take care. Bye.